Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. Brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Hell's Bay Boatworks, and Orvis Fly Fishing. In today's episode, we venture up north to New Jersey to talk to my friend and fellow FSU alumni, Marty Gallopo of Bad Fish Supply. In this podcast, we discuss how Marty got into the outdoors as a self-proclaimed late bloomer, how to smoke bluefish, and all things road trips, as well as how a two and a half month fishing stint on the road taught him about life and fishing. Marty also shares some great insight on pushing through and grinding to pursue your dream. Also make sure to check out our holiday gift guide podcast at captainscollective.com. We hope that you enjoy. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you, you know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. No one else knew anything anyway, and you just might definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's an old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? Let's so look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. All right. Well, hey, Marty, thanks for hanging out with us on the podcast and making time to be with us today. We've been talking about this one for a while, but it's taken me a minute to get as far north <laughs> as you are up there. But before we dive into a long list of topics I really want to pick your brain on, I'd love just to hear about how you first got into the outdoors. Sure. Um, well, thank you for having me, Hunter. Um, I'm a big fan. Uh, I'll do my best to keep it PG-13. Um, but wow. So getting into the, uh, outdoors, I was actually kind of a late bloomer. Um, I went to college down at, uh, Florida state, as you know, uh, we're both big Seminoles fans and my roommate senior year, um, was a total redneck and I grew up, uh, playing sports and was big into lacrosse. So that was kind of my, uh, warm weather, um, activity. And never really got into fishing or hunting much. My my dad wasn't a huge fisherman or anything, um, but my uh, my redneck roommate in, in college down in Florida was a big bass fisherman. So we he would drag me out, and the first kind of foray into fishing was in this like 1954 uh, like 11 foot John boat that he got <laughs> off that he got off Craigslist for I don't know. 200 bucks this thing was flex sealed together basically uh <laughs> and it was the sketchiest thing ever we we put like a 9.9 .9 horsepower uh motor on it and we went out in lake talcon um west of tallahassee which is like a terrifying lake it is just filled with gators there's stumps everywhere and i just remember like we would just go out banging at the stumps in this rickety john boat um but we would you know, catch little bass and um you know, I became enamored with that and uh, was was so green just getting started. Like, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Uh, it was total embarrassment. Um, and it, it took me, and I was terrible at it. I was really, really bad at, at bass fishing. But, uh, you know, stayed with it. Um, it was something fun to do in college besides uh, getting hammered all day long. Um, and then a couple buddies took me out to uh, St. Mark's, which is is one of the most incredible places in the world that I've been to. Um, and especially as far as fisheries go in Florida, it's just, uh, um, just stunning. And I went out there, went flats fishing. Um, I was so, so green that I, I forgot, uh, polarized sunglasses. 
<laughs> and I'm I'm probably wearing some goofy sunglasses, and and my buddies are like the whole all day long, like, oh, you see that one right there? You see that? I'm like, no, no, I don't see anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that first flat stay um, in in the skiff, pulling around, it was like the most beautiful day too. And that was it when I was kind of like, okay, like I I want to do a lot of this. Um, and I just kind of fell in love, and the rest is history, I guess. Yeah, and and that's kind of right here in my backyard, up here in the Panhandle, and definitely kind of zero to a hundred when it goes from little outdoor experience to now you're on the bow of the boat pulling around for for redfish. To you, what do you feel like drew you in so much? What was the big draw to to that? I'm a pretty uh, I, I kind of I like to to run and gun a little bit. I'm not the most patient person. Um, and I like the hunt of it. Uh, that's always been my favorite part about flats fishing. And, and then, you know, shallow water fly fishing is, is that stock. The, the always, you always got to be kind of on your toes, uh, always looking, always ready. You're not just kind of sitting out there soaking bait, which I, I never re- was really into. And, and, and still am not uh, super into it. It's just kind of sitting around blind casting all day. I, I like the the um i don't just the the hunt of it the the stock like this is what what drew me into to duck hunting later um and turkey hunting was was those first moments flats fishing um but yeah just i'd like to be engaged with it you know it's i can't sit still for too long so and and was that was that with the redneck roommate or was that with kind of a different crew well we we with the redneck roommate we upgraded the uh, two hundred dollar aluminum jumbo to like a, a I don't know thousand um, dollar fourteen foot John boat and built like a a really ghetto plywood platform on it spray painted <laughs> the thing like camo um, it, it was uh, we definitely fit in um, but it, that that was I think we got a twenty five horsepower so we just upgraded the, the John boat and we would go out there any chance we get. Um, you know, ditching class and going out there messing around and, and still just spin fishing at this time, but, um, you know, chasing redfish and trout out there. And that was still some of my, my favorite memories of fishing. Yeah. And I, I kind of had a similar, I guess, experience because I grew up doing just a lot of different types of outdoor stuff. And my first experience really for pulling around and sight fishing in really the same area that you had mentioned, St. Mark's was, in a duck boat where we would take a cooler we'd strap it on the back of the john boat and pull around with a, a bamboo push pole and I, I kind of similar experience to you i fell in love with it because it drew a lot of things from my childhood all into one place do you feel like that kind of that kind of innovative i guess low resource if you want to say start into the outdoor world shaped you at all yeah uh, absolutely um you know, I've since been very lucky to have gone out with some, you know, incredible guides and been on some great fishing trips. But I think everyone has to start off there. Um, we we had a we got one of those like Walmart step stools uh, that just folds out um, in half. And I remember we were running one time and just I, I was sitting on it and we were like that was our push ball or our, our platform. So just that little <laughs> like one two, or two foot uh, step stool was our our polling platform. And I remember we're just running one time and I'm sitting on it and we're like hitting some bumps. We just go over one bump and I just split the thing in half and, and fall to the, the deck. But, uh, yeah, you need that, uh, that humbling experience. Um, and especially with fishing, like there's so much to learn and to figure out and figuring it out on your own is, is very rewarding. So I, I think that was a, an awesome way to start. Yeah, I, I agree completely with that. And I think there's a lot of people who maybe they, they never had that experience of being in some sort of kind of duct tape together scenario where right. it kind of forces you to learn more about the fish and innovation. And then you can appreciate stuff later on in life when you're in a nicer boat or a nicer, I guess, setup. For you, how did you get from being a, a new outdoorsman pulling around in a John boat to somebody who's working in the outdoor industry and media and product? It was certainly a a long and windy and bumpy road for sure. Um, 
and it I didn't jump in right away. I so I, I well, obviously I, I fell in love with fishing in those early days, and and I moved back home uh, to, to New England, and my uh, my good buddy Dylan, who I'd later start badfish with, I, I knew he fished, so I had played lacrosse with him growing up, and I remember coming back from college and and hitting him up on Facebook and be like, hey hey man, do you you don't still fish, do you? And he's like, you know, it's been a little while, but uh, you, we should go sometime. So we, we started going out in New England and and fishing a ton, and it was a blast. And I think it really uh, – he, he grew up doing it, unlike me, and I think it really, like, um, brought that spark back for him and made him fall back in love with it. So we would go out all the time, and, and, and we started – this was when, like, GoPros were getting really big. So we started – taking terrible GoPro videos and really crappy iPhone photos of us fishing Classic. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> of us fishing all the time and very cheesily called ourselves team bad fish. Cause that was the <clears throat> name of his boat was bad fish. Huh. So, so from there it was like, I think we started an Instagram. Uh, then it was like bad fish angling and it was, uh, you know, very HD'd out photos, like color splash, all sci-fi looking photos when those were like, really, that was the in look. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was, uh, that's when the, the bad fish thing started. And then from there it, it went, you know, I don't think we'd exceed the time limit, uh, on the podcast, but, um, it just, it, it took a lot of different directions. Uh, we, the, the photos we started sharing, you know, they got better. The photos we started taking got better. We started sharing a lot of content and curating a bunch of content. We started like a little fishing blog and that morphed into, um, creating a, a website that was bad fish TV, which was a, a curation of <clears throat> all sorts of different fishing videos. Um, and we, we kind of got to a point where we were, we were curating all these fishing videos and it was kind of like a blog. It, it was actually, it was a, a really crabby version of Waypoint. So thank God, <laughs> thank God Waypoint came around because this was, <laughs> this was not going to make it. Um, so we, we got to a point where we we're just like, you know what, like we're sharing all these fishing videos. We have this blog, the site's pretty cool, but we, we can make some of this content. Like we can, we can do what these guys are doing. And I think that turned into uh, buying, you know, a pretty basic DSLR and, and shooting little videos. And then it was like a matter of get, tricking someone into paying us 500 bucks for that first, you know, little fishing video <laughs> for that, that social media video. And that was, that's kind of where it started. Um, and it, it kind of grew from there, of course. Yeah, and, and you're definitely one of the people I've talked to from the content side that has had a lot of success in that, and for lack of a better phrase, you know, we could say has made it. Um, and there's a lot of people who <laughs> listen to this show who they're taking photos, they're making content, and there's there's pros and cons to, you know, social media and people talking about videos and TVs, and we could go on and on and on about that. But for you, as you're coming up and angling and you're also trying to capture photo and video content, how, how did that shape you in, in your kind of coming up? Well, I think what we learned early on is we had to be really flexible and we had to adapt a lot. You know, like we always, the, the pitch is constantly changing. <clears throat> like, you know, for, for a while it was, Hey, let us, we, we want to shoot a mini series, you know, with, with your brand and we'll do four episodes and they'll, they'll be five minutes long and we'll share it on Facebook. And then, you know, that, that pitch, we'd pitch that to 10 different companies and they would all say no, or, or one would say yes. And then like, okay, maybe that's not, that's not the move. Like we'll do, you know, one full length, uh, whatever, a, a story and we'll, we'll pitch that around and, and you know, that would work or that, that would work for a couple months. And then it was like, well, let's, let's shoot a bunch of, what about photos? Like, let's shoot a photo catalog for you guys, shoot a bunch of social media photos. Um, and then, you know, and then that would work for a little while. So we were constantly evolving what the pitch was and, and, you know, a lot of stuff didn't work. So you, we would just, you, you kind of throw, um, throw shit at the wall until something sticks. Right. Um, and that was, so I, I guess like 
my advice would be for someone is just like you have to be ready to adapt and evolve and you know you you have your pitch and you have what makes you unique but um i mean it's not necessarily easy (laughs) making it in the outdoor industry like it was constantly a grind and once you wrap up one project like there's no there's no paycheck that just comes every friday like it's it's all it's all about the next paycheck so or, or the mm-hmm. next project you know you, as soon as one project's over the next one starts um, so you're constantly hustling and it's constantly a grind and it, it will if you want to you know pursue that it allows you to do a lot of really cool things you know mm-hmm. um, and and for me like i wouldn't i wouldn't have changed any of that uh you got to explore some incredible places and meet just the most amazing people across the outdoor industry but <clears throat> It was certainly, um, certainly a grind for <laughs> the majority of it. Yeah, and for you, was there a moment, for lack of a better phrase, where you felt like, okay, this is working, like I'm gonna make it here? Mm, I don't know. Um, I don't think so. I think it was. It, it it never really was like. I mean, we were never we were never killing it, but that was like the life we chose. You know, mm-hmm. it was if we wanted to make a bunch of money, um, I probably would have looked into something else. Uh, but but no, I mean, there were certain projects that that we were on or we were doing and I or, or clients we were working with. And, I, you know, I was like, OK, this is pretty cool. Like I well, I'm sure we'll get into it at some point. But when, when we were doing working with Bass Pro and we were on a um, we were at like their one of their resorts that is just like sitting on a lake and uh just most insane view of lake of the ozarks and um i just remember like (laughs) we were saying this they they put us up in this like chalet that mark Wahlberg had just stayed in and (laughs) it it was like a nice gesture for them it's not because we were like important or anything they just kind of wanted to like do something nice for us Mm -hmm. um but I just remember like walking out there and I think I had like a robe on like an asshole and just was like, <laughs> I was like, it was like, you know, beautiful sunset. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm getting paid for this, you know, and that, but, You're but like, trust I me, <laughs> I know seriously that, but trust me, that was a, you know, that's an exception to it because there were so many moments before that where it's like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. So, um, yeah, but yeah, I don't think I ever really would say I made it, but I, I, I made it like I got by, like I figured it out and made it work for a little while. And, you know, I certainly racked up some credit card debt, but, um, you know, had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about, I guess, just obviously there's these moments and anytime that you're doing something like that, where you feel like, wow, this is working. This is, this is kind of what I dreamed of. But for every one moment like that, it seems like there's 10 moments where you want to quit or, you feel like you're just not good enough or you, you know, you're getting criticism on something and I don't know. Are you familiar with the phrase imposter syndrome? Have no. you ever heard? Okay. It's, it's just like a, I don't know, I guess it's a psychological term, but it's just about how even people who are really successful sometimes feel like they're not worthy or they're not good enough or they're just, they're an imposter, you know, and it's, it kind of people have used it to talk about how people struggle with, you know, just kind of, in success or in any type of like endeavor like this where you feel like wow like should I really be the one doing this but Mm -hmm. in those lower moments where maybe things were harder to push through you wanted to quit or walk away what what did you do in those moments or what helped you out the most you know there I mean there were there are plenty of moments where where I was like, hey, I don't, I don't know when I'm going to get my next paycheck or, or if like, what are we going to do here? Like even moments where we're looking at like part-time work. I mean, I'll be, I'm not afraid to say it. Like I, I drove Uber for a couple months just to pay rent mm-hmm. because I wanted to do what, what I was doing. Like I wanted mm-hmm. to make this work and I wanted to, I, and I thought what we were doing was what we were doing was really cool. And I knew that, at some point, like we were going to get to a point where we all right, like some of these companies would, would start to notice us. So like, I, I would just do whatever it took to, to get by. Cause, um, I didn't want to go back to my nine to five beer industry job where 
I would do the same exact thing every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was, that paid fine. I had friends in the job, but I, I would, I was a sales rep and I had a, you know, sales territory and I would visit the same accounts in the same order on the same days. And it was like such a routine that I felt two and a half years went by and I was just like, what, what the hell just happened? Mm. (laughs) It went by so fast and I I barely fished. I barely did anything. I was like, "Uh, this just isn't for me. So, you know, I, I, I think just finding ways to, to get by and, and, to, and just knowing deep down like this, I'll find a way through this out was kind of, was kind of helpful for that. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's really helpful though, for people who maybe they're kind of at that Uber driving season of life where they're, they're trying to say, you know, wow, I'm a year, two, three, four, five, six into whatever their dream is. And they're thinking about walking away. I think that's encouraging just to hear some honesty around trying to push through just to kind of say, okay, this is, there's a direction I want to go and it's not eight to five selling beer, you know? Yeah. And just to keep on pushing through. And you had mentioned the, uh, the Bass Pro thing. That was the first time that I had noticed the content you guys were creating. And we were, I mean, me and you have been talking, I guess, probably for about a year now, just kind of about different, you know, I pick your brain on different things and, you know, both Florida state guys, both panhandle. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I saw that and I thought, man, that is maybe the longest r- fishing road trip that I've ever met um, <laughs> to think like it, it was two months and it was what, like 70 plus Bass Pro locations and you fished all around the, g- give us the details of that. Sure, sure. So that was, uh, I guess what I would consider like the, the big break, right? Um, I, I remember this, it was around Christmas time. And I was in Charleston, <clears throat> and uh, D- Dylan and I were, were both, um, Dylan, my partner in Batfish, were both uh, like, what are we doing? Like, this is like I was saying, like, this is one of those moments when we were we were looking at, at some maybe some part-time work, um, to, and, and maybe it was time to, to say we gave it a good shot. And I had, I had been talking with Bass Pro randomly. I, I reached out through, like, their online contact form like the most generic like <laughs> contact us and you fill out like three lines and i i probably i don't have no idea what the sales pitch was but like a couple months later someone messaged me i was like no way there's no way that this actually worked <laughs> i can't believe that worked <laughs> yeah i know i still can't and we went back and forth on some couple ideas and we talked about like shooting a series for them with like you know, some of their, their ambassadors and it, w- it wouldn't have anything to do with us personally. We would just be, be the ones, um, on the other side of the camera shooting it and putting it together for them. And it kind of fell through and, and the been a month later, right around Christmas, they, they were like, Hey, can we, can we chat real quick? So I, I went outside to take the call and, and we were in the office and I just remember I was like, no matter what they say, like, I'm going to say yes to it. <laughs> we don't really have a choice. Like they, they're yeah. going to have some crazy idea. I don't care what it is. Like, or we just have to say yes to it. It's kind of, it's kind of our last shot. And they're like, well, we have this, this idea where, you know, we're going to have some people go um, to every Bass Pro in the country. It's going to be this big, long road trip and you're going to fish and there's going to be a video about it. I'm like, oh, great. You know, like, sure, we'll, we'll do it. And I was like, who, who do you, who do you want us to film? Like, who's going to be in it? Like, do you want it to be so-and-so and so-and-so? And like, no, we were thinking it was going to be you guys. So, so I was like, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, but I, and I went back in the office and I was like, Hey, so guess what? Uh, we're going on a little road trip. Um, but so th- that was, that was really cool. That was like, yeah, that, that was the highlight. And, and finally a moment where we kind of had a big break with a big brand that would eventually open a lot more doors. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was three and a half months on the road. We did uh, to hit every Bass Pro in the country and shoot a mini series on it. And there were 76 of them, the last one being in Anchorage, Alaska. So we started in Tampa, Florida, went down to the Keys, and then zigzagged you know, up and down the country. And then finally drove from Seattle all the way through uh, 
British Columbia and the Yukon to, mm. to Anchorage. And that was, uh, and we, we shot a little mini series for that. And, and that, you know, that was a, a big budget thing that allowed us to, <laughs> to stay alive for another, um, you know, six months or so. And then of course we, uh, as soon as the tour, you know, the, the tour's over, we, we blow all the money and we right back in the same situation of, okay, what's mm-hmm. the next project? But, <laughs> but a lot of doors had been opened because of that. So, um, it, it worked out in the end. Yeah. So, so give me some tips that you learned from doing such a big road trip, because I'm pretty much certain that that's the biggest one, like one single trip that I've come in contact with. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> there were four of us in a, uh, Toyota, you know, four door truck. Um, and that is very close quarters for four people for three months. So, you all kind of have to be on the same page and you all have to sacrifice a lot. Like you, you can't, you know, if if three people want to go to Wendy's and one guy goes, wants to go to, you know, Burger King, like you're going to Wendy's and you have to be okay with that. Mm. You have to, you have to take one for the team a lot and Mm. you have to have a positive attitude, especially when you're driving. Like we were driving, we'd have to hit, these certain Bass Pros for different events and be there for different days. And sometimes it was like we would drive from Cleveland to Cincinnati down to, I don't know, wherever, St. Louis. It was just these days where we'd have to hit like three or four stores and try to shoot all this video and edit all this stuff in the car and do voiceover in the hotel room. And it was nonstop. And you had to just kind of like find a way to keep a positive attitude. And then it'd be thundering out or there'd be a massive snowstorm and you'd be delayed and one time the the hotel that we're at there's a fire in the hotel that we're at and we had to (laughs) get out and evacuate and grab whatever we could and run out I mean it was it was nuts so you had to you had to be positive you had to like you know suck it up a little bit and and uh and try to get and try to just get along because the the moment you start losing touch with it or like you get you kind of angry it's it uh it all kind of falls apart and it's a long time it's a long Mm -hmm. time to to be with with four people yeah for sure that's my experience too has always just been any type of long road trip that that can quickly go from a pleasant thing to a not so pleasant thing very fast what what about the planning like what tips could you give people on planning who are wanting to do some sort of big road trip with their friends well what i i learned from the first half was don't have a tight schedule uh once we got through a lot of events in the spring i think we did um some major league bass tour we had to be at we had to be like the indy 500 or the indy um motocross in indy and the daytona 500 and once we got to like texas and colorado we didn't have to be anywhere at any specific time so we took our sweet ass time just exploring and having a f- not much of an agenda. And that's when it really got fun. And that's when mm-hmm. the mood changed and we got to do a lot of cool stuff and the weather was better and there was more fishing and more time to meet people. So I think like have a pretty loose, loosely constructed plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I, you hear a lot of people say that, but like with travel in general, I, that's kind of from that trip. I've learned a lot to to just go go to a brewery in a city you're visiting, and then ask the bartender like, "Hey, where should we go to dinner?" And then go out there, and then ask the server like, "Hey, what hike should we go on?" And then you know, find some people on the hike and say, "Hey, where should we go to eat?" And like, go, go through the trip that way. And mm-hmm. and I always find that's when I have like the most fun traveling. Yeah, I was wondering about that balance between structure and just going with the flow because you have to have, you know, some level of structure if that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, but I, I think going with the flow is is important in, in a lot of what we do, like on the water and, and hunting or whatever it is in the outdoors. Like things generally don't don't go to plan with fishing. You always you have a you have an idea of how you're going to fish or where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. But the weather may change and or the fish aren't doing what you want them to do. So the same goes for travel. You, you, you definitely have a plan, but the, the more you you set yourself to like 
no, we have to do it this way, the more likely you're going to screw yourself over. Yeah, I've, I've learned that with this podcast is like, you know, I always joke with my guests that it takes six months for us to figure out like how to actually get together and record. But, you know, the reality is if you're too married to a plan too, every time something doesn't go wrong on a 20 page plan, like you're just you're thinking about, oh, that was a failure. When in reality, maybe the detour, maybe the thing that took you away from the quote unquote plan is actually better, you know, and is actually going to lead to something that, you know, you couldn't have wrote up or dreamed up and trying to learn how to kind of balance out like structure and flow is, I think, important in a lot of things in life. For you, like going around and, and fishing all these different fisheries with all these different people. I know you fished with Scott Burgess. I, I had him on the show. He's, we've literally been neighbors in uh, Tallahassee and Wakulla now. But, um, you know, you know, with being with all these different guys, like in what ways did it shape you as an angler, help you grow as an angler? Um, <laughs> that was huge. I was, I've been very lucky. Um, going with 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 all these people that know a, a lot more about fishing than me um and i st- i still like i still don't pretend like i know a lot because I, I really don't like i when i go i try to be a sponge as much as possible and i i'm probably still that like annoying guy in the boat asking a million questions but i i love doing it i love mm-hmm. um figuring out how, how these guys you know learn to do their craft um and I just try to take in as much as I, I can, and I always forget it after. But uh, yeah, that's that's been so great, and it's, I've been extremely lucky to to have that opportunity. And I've what I've learned it. I've learned a ton. But there's just there's so mu- there's so much to learn, and every fishery is so different. And it's just you you really can net, like those guys are are just such professionals, and it's incredible. Like the way they figure out their their area so you know someone that's shown up there for the first time like you're gonna have you gotta just let them you know to let them show you the ropes Mm -hmm. yeah I, i agree completely for you like when you look back at that trip what was your favorite destination that you stopped at and your favorite kind of fishing situation that you found yourself in utah is i don't know if the word underrated is the best word but i think utah is the most beautiful state um in the country that i've been to just insane landscape that changes in every different corner of it it's completely different like there's uh the mountains and snow and then you're in like these deserts and valleys to the south and we did like um atvs in moab and then we um went to strawberry reservoir and caught like giant cutthroat and it was like within a day of each other it was um that was just a a pretty cool experience and like i was saying that's when the the trip really slowed down for us and we got to take it all in um so that was that was definitely a highlight uh fishing the kenai in alaska was really cool because i am a terrible trout fisherman still am and we just got on like a a bite I, it was like every cast just catching huge rainbows mm-hmm. and it was very satisfying because i always have the worst luck trout fishing mm-hmm. always losing fish always getting tangled like <laughs> so, always getting so frustrated uh but we just had like an awesome day and and doing that in alaska was was really cool yeah do you feel like there's some things when you carve out that much time on a road trip that you get that when you have like a more rush trip you miss because I've definitely had a few trips where I felt like I did them too short and I felt like I, I just missed out on one just having a big enough window to have success but I felt like I missed out on like some decompression what stuff do you feel like you get out of doing a really long trip like that I don't think I've ever felt like that trip was too long or like I had too much time it's always that I never had enough time. Like I always wish, oh, if we had one more day, yeah, if, I, if we could have added just a couple more nights to this trip or whatever, one more day to fish, one more morning. I, I always feel like that. Um, so, and, and especially on fishing trips, like the first day, if, especially if you're, it's a DIY thing, like you're just trying to figure it out. You're mm-hmm. just trying to get a lay of the land, especially like 
I mean, if you're on a hunting trip, and like I, I just went on a duck hunting trip and hunting a, a spot that that you no one had ever been to, you go out there and within like an hour, you're like, all right, well, we're in the wrong spot, <laughs> but <laughs> we, we know where we need to be tomorrow. So, uh, and then the next day we went out and we were uh, more successful. So, mm-hmm. and then the, and then the, I actually had to take off, of course, trip being too short, but the guys went out on the third day and figured it out even more. So, I mean, I think you, you can never have enough time, uh, you know, get, getting outside and exploring new places. Give me some, uh, Marty road trip essentials, some bad fish road trip essentials for doing, uh, long road trips. Oh God. I think, I think peanut M&Ms became a staple on that trip. Uh, gummy bears are always a go-to. We would get, um, every time we stopped at Bass Pro, we would load up on, on beef jerky. And I don't think anyone's eaten more beef jerky in their lives than what what we did on that trip. It was borderline uh, disgusting. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> you can only eat so much beef jerky. Um, but eat, eat. that's a lot of times to be, a lot of stops to be eating at a, eating gas station food. You can only mm. do so much and get so creative with gas station food. And yeah. they are not they are not all created equal. And the more off the grid you get, the the weirder it is. So that was a lot of a lot of junk food. Um, how, how do you guys handle the music on a road trip? Is there a pretty eclectic taste there or are you guys passing the aux cord around or what? I usually feel like the driver gets the final say, right? Mm. Driver gets to decide the music, but you asked, you, you mentioned road trip essentials. We got um, noise canceling headphones before the trip. Each each person had one, and that <laughs> I think that forget everything I've said so far. That is the most important. Was that I think it's, at some point just everyone just throws on just their Bose headphones and just does their own thing. Hmm. You well, just what was, it, it, you just get to a point <laughs> where you have to do that. What what was like the biggest? I guess like when you look back at it, the biggest regret you had or mistake you felt like you guys made. I don't know. Um, I don't have a lot of regrets. I mean, it was, it felt like an impressive feat. Like we, it was, uh, it was rewarding. I mean, it was, a, it was a ton, a ton, ton of work. And like we got, you know, we were getting paid for it, which was great, but it's that, you know, that it was still really challenging. Um, and I give a lot of credit to, to Wes who was, who edited, you know, he's, he's editing this, this little mini series we're doing in the back of a pickup truck the mm-hmm. whole time on a laptop. And he's like going over bumps and someone's driving like a maniac and we're dodging deer and he's, you know, doing final cut pro. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it, I think it came out really great. Uh, so I, I, I don't think it could have came out any better. Honestly, I, I, I don't really have, um, any regrets for it it was hmm. uh i i was you know something that I'll, I'll remember forever and i'm very lucky that it's documented and i'll be able to show my kids it and um yeah i'm stoked on it yeah absolutely it was a definitely a cool project if you guys want to check it out it's called outbound and i'll have a link to it in the blog as well Fast forward me, get me to where you are today because you guys now have grown Badfish beyond media and you guys have one of my favorite products, genuinely, um, where you guys have these curated boxes. You can do one-time box and get like a redfish crate, which we're going to talk about the gift guide on a separate podcast that will be paired with this. But you guys also have monthly boxes, which to me always kind of hit me at the right time after a long day. You know, you get this box in the mail, it's filled with fun tackle i would say all of it's good tackle but i'd say 50 percent of it at least is like stuff i wouldn't probably go outside my box and try no pun intended on outside the box (laughs) and uh you know so it's kind of a fun way to 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 get some different lures in my hand and to kind of maybe experiment with some stuff like i told you you guys had sent this huge nomad popper that i was dead set on catching a tarpon with that never happened with that lure and i ended up catching black tips which was super cool but tell me how do you get from being a guy running around doing media to working in 
tackle in this yeah. this kind of bad fish box concept. Definitely an interesting um, <clears throat> change of events. Uh, we, you know, the, like I said, the Bass Pro thing opened a lot of doors, and we were doing all sorts of different media projects, like uh, shooting catalogs and little social media videos, and um, it just it, it got to a point where I mentioned that that grind, like it, it is. It's hard to keep up with that, um, and you know, as as we get older, you, your your bills get a little higher, and we were just kind of ready for a, a new direction um, and something different, and and to take w- what we had learned into something um, I don't know something something different and something where we could kind of build some roots and and not live out of su- live out of a suitcase um, mm-hmm. and be and be on the road every day because it. It's uh, it's tough to have that be sustainable forever. Um, so we we had known Brian, who started Postfly. Uh, when he originally started, it, we shared an office with him in Boston, and way back in like 2013. And we have remained close buddies with him. And he he was looking to grow in in a similar way. You know, he had been doing this uh. uh Postfly, a fly fishing subscription box, and doing really well with it, and was just ready to to expand and and grow the team a bit. So you know, we came on board um, and brought what what uh, what we were good at was was making content. Um, so joined for- forces there. So we brought in Badfish to the fold. We helped out with the, the fly fishing and the rod and reel brands, um, and we they had wanted to get into more saltwater stuff and, and spin tackle. And we had built this brand that was was pretty heavily focused on, on saltwater just because that's what we like to do and that's what a lot of our content and followers enjoyed. So uh, <laughs> we were thinking of this this new brand and and he wanted to do a subscription box for spin fishing. So we were like, wow, what do we, what do we call it? They were coming up with names and I think like a week went by and we finally were like, what if that just becomes bad fish like what if we use the bad fish brand and mm. that's kind of the next evolution is what we do it and so that was like it's like yeah obviously uh so that's when that was born and, and i immediately just like that just became what my main responsibility was like all right let's figure out this this tackle thing and, and how do we take bad fish from just being some neat photos um and to to being a product and something that people like it that's a, a real brand that people can get behind and get excited about. So um, that's just been kind of my full-time thing since then. And that's been about a year and a half now. Um, and I think from from what I got to learn being with all these guides, being with you know the Scott Burgess, um, the Scott Burgess of the world uh, out in flats and, and doing inshore fishing was, um, was super helpful because, you know, I, I, I could just call them and be like, Scott, what, 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 uh, <laughs> I'm doing a subscription box for, for saltwater fishing. Like I need 10 things to put in this box for this month. And so right off the bat, like that was so helpful to be able to contact all these guides and hit up my buddies over here in new England and say like, Hey, it's, you know, I, for July, like, what do you recommend? Because like I said earlier, like I, I've been, I've done a lot of fishing and I've, you know, I've been on plenty of trips, but I'm still, I'm still learning. And I, I, I wouldn't consider myself an expert, um, but fortunately, I, I know experts, so I try to use that to my advantage as much, as much as possible. Yeah, and you guys have some really great gear included in that, and I'd always kind of found it interesting in our conversations in the past about how you come across different lures and plastics and all that, and it seems to me like it, it's, it is evolving thing that you're kind of learning and coming across things from different friends and guides is is that the case is that kind of the main way that that you guys figure out what to put in the box yeah totally um and it's just like like i mentioned bad fish evolving early on it's it's the same thing like that still hasn't changed it's it's still evolving and still trying to figure out what what to do with them what's the next angle and what can we get into next you know now now we're creating our own tackle and have our own soft plastics and you know I'm, I'm not sure yet what what the next thing's going to be um 
but that's yeah i i mean i i want to keep it growing i i I want it to be this this coastal i hate saying the coastal it's very cliche the coastal lifestyle brand but you know it's what what i like to do and that's that's kind of what the goal is is just be a brand that people can identify with and whether that's with um apparel or or hats or soft plastics or top water lures um you know whether it's there's all sorts of things you can get uh get into it with yeah it's definitely uh it's definitely a cool around this holiday season too a great a great gift that you know spoiler alert the bad fish box is in in the gift guide um but i love it i think it's a lot of fun if if it's good with you i'd love to transition with the the last 15 20 minutes or so to, to my not so rapid fire questions that I have kind of compiled over the last few months of us kind of leading into this. Let's do it. Awesome. All right. So I know you as a foodie guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're a part of Traeger. Uh, I am as well. And it seems like you're always kind of finding a way to incorporate food into whatever trip you're doing or thing that you're doing for you, where did the love of food kind of factor into to your story? I, I think it started in high school. Um, I think it was just like I would, I would like smoke some weed and get high and and do so, and want to do something besides make a hot pocket. Uh. <laughs> so I would like look up some some Thai food, uh, and I think from there it was just like all right. Uh, I've just always been curious about it, and and I'm a big like Food Network guy, and I was a it just insane Anthony Bourdain fan, um, and just like I, when it whenever traveling was always, you know, excited about where we we're gonna eat and where we we're gonna stop to get food, um, so I, I just even as a kid like I was super adventurous with food, like I was eating sushi when I was like five years old, or you know, just I would try anything, and I still try anything, and. Um, there really isn't much I don't like that I can think of. Um, so I don't know. I, I love, uh, I love like the sea to table aspect of fishing. You know, I, I certainly respect, um, catch and release and, and, uh, you know, respecting the fish and, and, you know, I do think that sometimes it can be appropriate to, to keep a fish, um, and if you do that, you know, because personally, I, I don't like buying frozen tilapia from the grocery store. Like I would much rather, you know, catch a speckled trout and, and cook that and eat that myself and know where it came mm-hmm. from. Um, and so I, I think I've always been excited about that part with fishing and, and with hunting as well. Um, but I, my, my dad and my, my mom were, were pretty big into food. So uh, I was never a picky eater. And, and now I've, yeah, I've really, it's really become obsessive. It's probably, uh, yeah, it's probably taken over my life a little bit, but, um, <laughs> there's worse things, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I just, it's same with fishing. Like I like to learn and I like to ask questions and learn from people that are better than me at it. Yeah. I, I definitely have noticed that some of the best anglers that I've, you know, there's always exceptions, but some of the best anglers and guides and people that I've spent time around have a a similar passion for food and just understanding how to cook it, why to cook it certain ways, what happens. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on the correlation between food and and fishing. Not that Hmm. anybody would actually maybe (laughs) listen to that, but (laughs) we could do it. Um, give me, uh, give me the best seafood dish that you've ever had, like on the road and in different fishing communities. Uh, Seattle, it was actually on the Bass Pro Tour. Um, the, what the heck is the name of the place? It was, it's a <clears throat> Sushi Kashiba, I think is the name of it. This chef um, who trained under this guy, uh, Jiro, and there's a Netflix show, a movie called um, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. He's this f- famous sushi chef in Japan. So this guy in Seattle trained under him, supposedly. But we did the... Uh, like omakase which is the chef's tasting menu and they essentially just will give you one piece at a time until you throw in the towel until you're done they'll just keep bringing food and like i i was like i waited my whole life for this moment i'm there's no way i'm i'm gonna stop <laughs> like you're gonna have to 
kick me out of this place. So, um, it was in Seattle. I think, you know, I had been eating gas station food for two or three months and it's just the sushi experience. So sitting, sitting at the sushi counter, um, with like the famous sushi guy and him just one piece at a time, like trying to, to push it to the next level to like, you know, after like 20 pieces, he's like, I got to, I got to throw some curveballs at this guy. Like what's it going to take? So it was like a a mental game. It was a chess match. (laughs) It was a chess match for sure. So, uh, that was, I think the coolest, um, dining experience I've had. Just, I, I love sushi and, and raw fish and, um, the Japanese food in general. And that was just, that was killer. Yeah. I, I, I prefaced this recording with some ceviche uh, that we caught a huge lionfish in our area, which actually we've never on our boat, on my dad and I, we've never had anybody, any clients or anybody catch like a, a lionfish on a hook. Like, and this was a huge lionfish and we did a ceviche with it. It was cool. Really good. That's um, great. Well, I, I, you know, we had, I kind of mentioned Traeger. I know that you're a big, big into grilling. Give me, give me your best Traeger recipe. Oh, best Traeger recipe. Mm-hmm. That's a tough, tough one. Um, I do like a lot of barbecue, but I know you've had plenty of pros talk about ribs and pulled pork on this, on the show. So I like, um, I like, uh, smoking bluefish a lot. Um, I think bluefish is very underrated and a lot of people say bluefish is only good for smoking which is very false um bluefish is one of my favorite eating fish um it's really important that you take the proper steps when if you're gonna if you're gonna kill one and eat one and that's as soon as you get it out of the water you brain spike it you cut its gills and you bleed it in a five gallon bucket in salt water for about five minutes and then from there you dump it straight to ice like an ice and salt with a little salt water slurry and that's like if you do that and you tell me that you still don't like bluefish like i will call you a liar um because that i i think that's fantastic but it is very important you take those steps and that means you you know you can't go for the grip and grin and all the angles and all the photos so um, all the all the bluefish photos. All the blue, yeah, all the great <laughs> bluefish photos that everybody's looking for. Uh, but that's a great one. I love doing that in the Traeger. Um, How long do you it, smoke that? What's the like smoking process look like on something like that? So that like you you can brine it. Um, I really like the Traeger fin and feather rub. That's my favorite one to do on that. So I'll just dump a bunch of of, of fin and feather rub. Um, uh, on the fish and I'll, I'll keep the skin on the bottom just so it doesn't stick to the grates. Uh, but I'll let it sit in the fridge, um, with, with that Traeger rub on it for a while. And then I'll smoke it for probably two to three hours. Um, even longer, depending on the size of the fish. I find like a, the smaller blue fish are, um, less bloody and can be really good. So if you have smaller, uh, fillets, it'll take less time, but, um, I'll put it the Traeger at like 180. Um, and I think when smoking fish in general, like going going low and slow is is the move. Um, but basically, you're cooking that till it's like an internal 160, and it kind of flakes, but it's not necessarily dried out. And then I'll make a uh, you can just serve that with with crackers and cream cheese and and capers, or I'll put it on like a, a nice spread together. But um, there's a Hank Shaw recipe, actually. I can't take credit for it, but it's just like a, a bluefish pate. And it's really simple. It's, you know, you take your smoked bluefish that's been um, seasoned with a fin and feather, and you mix it with cream cheese, uh, red onion, capers, a bunch of dill, um, some freshly squeezed, like, lemon juice in there, a um, bunch of cracked pepper, and some, like, Tabasco or whatever hot sauce you like. And it's it's... I mean, super simple, but like that with some fry, like toasted rye bread or crackers is like a great appetizer if you're having people over. That's, that sounds that that's sounds a good incredible. One. Yeah, that's a that's a favorite of mine. That's um, but I love doing barbecue on the Traeger, and uh, you know, from from traveling around the country, like that was always looking for the barbecue spot. So I do I'm gonna have of, to yeah, I gotta try that. I gotta try yeah. the bluefish deal. That's a great one. That's that's a, 
um, that's a great, like, if you want to start, you know, uh, cooking your catch and, and like dipping your toes into it, that's kind of a pretty safe play to, to mm. jump into it for, for, for folks. My next question is, you know, as somebody who works in the industry with different guides and different kind of companies, what are some of the concerns that you have with the fishing industry? And then what are some of the, maybe some of the positive trends that you're noticing? Hmm. That's a good question. I think, I don't, I, I, I noticed this trend and I'm sure some other folks have talked about it, but. Um, we talk about it being difficult for, for people to in to kind of make it in the content creation world because there's so many people out there that it's so accessible to, to be able to buy a camera and, mm-hmm. and shoot photos and, and do really great stuff that it, it's tough for people trying to do it as a living um, because, you know, somebody will do it for to, in exchange for like a, you know, a fly rod or whatever. And, and I, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too. And I've been guilty of this, but, um, you know, I just, I just find that I, I imagine that's, I'm less in, I'm less in that world now, but I imagine that's pretty challenging for, for folks, you know, um, that are out there as photographers or editors or whatever to, to compete with, uh, just how many people are out there that, that can shoot great photos and, or, or, or folks that will do it as a hobby and, um, I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if how that, how that solves itself. Right. Mm-hmm. Of course the, the, the best ones will, will stand out and, and, uh, the ones that, you know, work, work the best with their clients and are do what they say they're going to do and, and go above and beyond and they'll, they'll always be all right. But, uh, mm-hmm. I guess that's more of the, the thought of, you know, the, the industry as a whole, um, I'm not as in tune with, with as much on the conservation side. Um, but I, I feel like that's, that's finally getting a voice, um, mm-hmm. more so in, in the, this past year than I feel like I've seen. Um, and, and that could be because it's gotten so bad that it's, uh, can't be ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a little scary, but I, I feel like, you know, with, with, um, captains for clean water and, uh, you know, all the, everything that with Menhaden and, um, the, the movements to try to protect those fisheries. And, and I, I just, I feel like some of that, that that's finally being seen and heard and that that's a good thing, but hopefully it's not too late. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I battle that too. And, you know, I'm trying to, allow conservation to have a voice in in what I'm doing because I do think that it's important and there's some people who you know they eye roll conservation they're just tired of hearing about it Mm. but when I've spent time with older guys even guys like Flip and some of them I've realized that you know if if you fight for something even if it's something that seems to other people relatively small in your own backyard that nature has does have a way of correcting and bouncing back and mm. that I think that because we have some history of that and we have some examples of that, I think that really encourages people to actually fight and not just say, well, it's over. Because if we can make some of these changes and build awareness and see some different policies change. And I mean, even like with the pebble mine, you know, we know that right. we can prevent some things. But we also know that some of the things that have been done can be undone and that nature can can correct. And so. Yeah, I think I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it's interesting thinking about the the content side of things because um, there's also, I guess, like just to kind of peer a little bit in my angle, there's some people who are really young and talented who just don't know how to value what they're doing. And, you know, they are selling. It's kind of like in, in the music industry, they joke like, you know, someone's like, hey, you know, I'll give you a thousand bucks for the rights to that song. And then all of a sudden that song makes that person millions and millions of bucks, you know, and the guy's like... Mm. I didn't know what I had. You know, I think there are some, yeah. some young people like that. I, I got a series here of rapid fire. These are some sure. either ors. And let them then, rip. Uh, then we'll let it, then we'll slide into our next podcast here on the gift guide. All right. Either or uh, stripers or redfish. Oh man. Starting with a tough one. Oh, that's really tough. Whew. 
man, like the the tailing thing with redfish. Oh, it's so cool. Uh, oh man. I'm gonna go stripers. That's a toss. That's a toss up. That can go either way. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't want your striper friends to stop. I know. I know. Either way, I'm gonna, you. I'm gonna upset someone <laughs> with that one. But there, uh, man, like the 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 sight fishing redfish thing, like the the tailing flood tide thing, is so unique and mm-hmm. is so cool. Um, and then stripers, like it, the the like throwing top waters for them or like trying to trying to catch one of those in the flats mm-hmm. i mean that's like almost permit fishing they're so challenging and spooky and fast uh i don't know that's that's really that's an impossible question unfair yeah i'm excited by the way to do a podcast with kyle schaefer one of your buddies and oh. we're gonna we're gonna deep dive in stripers but yeah yeah he, all right he knows a lot more than i do He's all right man. rapid fire rapid fire let's go all right still photo or video still photo all right i want to know why but we're going to push through okay <laughs> actually no just tell me why <laughs> um i don't know i feel like uh with today's attention span like it getting someone to commit to a video is so tough you know you hmm. you can but you can still do so much with with a photo um i, I don't know i'm a sucker for for a nice photo what about fly or conventional? If you could only fish one. Oh, it's, all right. Now I'm actually going to upset people. Uh, you, see, if you you'd catch me at different points in my life, I would have different answers. Um, I think now I'm going to have to go with uh, spin, just because I'm, I'm more in that world now, um, mm-hmm. and cooking's become a bigger part of my life. So I think that has a little more. Uh, you know, more, more spin fishing associated with that. And that, yeah, man, I'm really going to upset people. Yeah. But that's all code word for bad at casting. Yes. <laughs> I'm yeah. just, I'm just I am kidding. terrible at casting. Yeah. <laughs> all right. What about, what about remove trigger affiliation here? Grill or stove? Grill. Okay. For sure. Favorite. So this is not either or now we're just in, in normal. Ra- I'm actually yep. the world's worst rapid fire question yeah, giver. Yeah. And that's the, that's, I'm the, the worst answerer. So we're make a pretty bad team. No, nah, we, I've had, I've, I've definitely had <laughs> rapid fire go not so rapid. Um, so what about favorite product you guys have ever put in a bad fish box? Um, Jesus, you should have gave me the, like these ahead of time. Um, Favorite product. What did I just do? Oh, I just the hat. The hat was pretty sweet. Yeah, the black one. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the hat. I like the bandana too. I am, I got something pretty exciting coming up that you know about, but uh, I you only spoil it. I won't. I won't. Some some new coming that I'm really excited about. We I've got to work with some really cool artists. Um, Tyler Spader and, and Peter Glenn. Um, that have just done some really cool stuff. Uh, so I, I, I plan to keep, you know, I try to work with a, a different marine artist each month and um, doing collaborative stuff with artists has been my favorite part. So anything that's, whether you, if it's a sticker or the you know bandana or a buff or whatever, um, anything I've done with, with an artist, I, I get really excited about. So everybody that I've interviewed that has any type of company like yours i just spent the weekend and and interviewed vince degura from skinny water culture and everybody talks about how there's always a product or something that they love that they're so excited to release to the world and then it just is a bust it just is like it's a total swing and miss from the consumer part in whether it's video series or a bad fish box or product what to you do you feel like was the thing you were most excited about that just flopped on its face I mean, the first launch, launching the box was, was tough. You know, I, that was something that I thought was going to just take off. And, um, just because we had built a big audience and, and, you know, our audience likes fishing, but we started launching tackle and everything. And it turns out like, just because they liked 
our photos and videos doesn't mean they were ready to buy stuff for them because and, and there's no reason they should have because we haven't really proved ourselves yet you mm-hmm. know like like just because we can take photos like how do i know that these guys can either curate tackle or or put you know a cool product together and that was fair and that was fair so that was one thing i just thought was going to be easier and it took a little while for to to gain people's trust and for people to like all right let's check it out and, and now it's you know i um now it's going great and it's tough to keep up with but like that was something where it was it was very humbling you know mm. um that was that's it for sure and, and this is probably my favorite question i ask people but if you could go back to marty in college the redneck roommate hopping in a 12 foot aluminum boat going to lake talquin hitting stumps trying to catch bass what advice would you give him at the start of this whole thing i wonder if my roommate's going to be uh, upset that i called him a redneck we'll see if he listens um advice i could give him at the start of that man i was i was pretty young and dumb then um i guess just you know, I, I've hit on it a few times, but uh, be be flexible. Um, be ready to be ready to adapt and and figure out different ways to make it work. And that was like that was kind of the theme the whole time. You know, whether it was like like, dude, you're gonna have to <laughs> one day you're gonna have to drive Uber for a couple months so you can pay rent. But mm. you, in or, you know, doing that will allow you to spend the year meeting great people in the fishing industry so mm-hmm. like there's there's sacrifices you're gonna have to make there's things you're gonna have to grind out um but just like <laughs> be ready to adapt with that and roll with the punches that's that's good man well thanks so much for hanging out with me today on the podcast I look forward to doing some more partnership stuff with you in the future and i'm excited for everyone also to head over and, and listen to us talk through the gift guide yeah excited to do that thank you um thank you so much for having me this was a lot of fun thanks again for listening to the captain's collective please help us out by leaving a review on itunes and sharing this podcast we hope that you enjoy this is the captain's collective